Welcome to the Shark Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm an NFL veteran of eight years, and now I'm an author, leadership and personal development coach, and international speaker. In this podcast, you will learn strategies to get unstuck in life and find your influence. You will hear inspirational and value-packed stories from former and current elite-level athletes, successful entrepreneurs, and experts in the field of personal development. My mission is to help former elite-level athletes find their identity and utilize their influence to create a life of impact. My guest today is Sarah Centrella. So Sarah is pretty cool. Number one, she's a multi-best-selling author. She's a motivational keynote speaker and a master life coach. Okay, she's been on the Steve Harvey show. She's been on Good Morning America. She's graced the stage with Ed Milet. I mean, she's done some pretty cool things and she has some great insights on leadership. She has some insights on parenting athletes. She has a son who plays for the University of Oregon football team. And she has a lot of great information, I, I think, for parents um, who's looking to uh, parent their kids and hold them accountable to the words that they say. And so we dive into parenting, uh, among other things, but uh, I'm really excited for you guys to, to, uh, to hear Sarah and her story. Okay, here we go. Sarah. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I am really excited for our conversation today. Aw, thanks for having me, Alex. I am too, because I already know we had a great conversation a week or so ago on mine, so I'm super excited to yes, be Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, since my you know, my, my, uh, my folks have already heard a little bit about you from, from my point of view, can you yeah. tell my listeners a little bit about Sarah Centrella? So... I always kind of start here and make this as short as I possibly can, but there kind of has to be a little bit of backstory when you're talking to me, just because it is such a huge part of everything I do mm -hmm. right now. Um, for those watching on video, I have obviously my big future board right behind me, which um, is part of what has gotten me to, to where I'm at. But my journey started in 2009 when I found out my husband was having an affair and it just literally blew up my entire world. I had three little babies at the time, no job, not a penny to my name. Um, that idea of a bomb dropping in your life and everything that could go wrong does go wrong is exactly what happened. And it left me with absolutely nothing. And so what I immediately started doing was starting to think like, how do I rebuild my life? What do I want my life to be? And that started this whole journey that, that has gotten me to where I am right now, which was initially just trying to focus on what do I want my new life to be like? What do I want for my kids? What do I want for me as a parent? Um, for me as a woman, what does success look like for me? And so I started truly just visualizing that, mapping that out. I uh, never really thought any of it was ever going to happen. It just kind of made me feel like I had a little control in the crazy that was going on in my life and made me feel better. But lo and behold, it worked. And uh, we're three books down the road from that and very like four or five different iterations of a life from that. So that's like the snapshot <laughs> version of kind of how I got to, to be doing what I'm mm. doing now. You know, um, I'm, interest I'm interested to hear like, 
how you took like that very terrible moment, that very, that painful moment and how you flipped it and made something beautiful out of it. How, what was the yeah. first, take me through the steps. What was the, what was the first thing that you, that you had to do? You know, I think, I think the first kind of moment or spark of, I guess, change was honestly the night that I found out about the affair. I kicked my husband out and uh, he left and I'm laying on the floor. I've been crying for so many hours. My face is stuck to the hardwood, like the worst, you know, situation you can imagine. And in that moment, the, the mom and me, the person who wants to try and figure things out was sitting there going like, what do I do? How do I get a job? How do I move into a place I can afford? Like I was running all these scenarios in my head and I just kept on coming back with, well, that won't work because of this. And that, you know, and everything was like dead end. Every single scenario I was running, it just, there was no way to do it. And I felt so helpless and so trapped and so scared. Right. But in that moment, I had this like epiphany. I had whatever you want to call it, voice of God, voice of yourself, whatever it is. But there was something that kind of came back. It was just like, what if you can? Because I just kept on saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it was just like, what if you can? And I think everything that I've done since then really comes back to that one moment because it was the moment I could have gone off a cliff and just lost it <laughs> and never recovered. But that was like a little, you know, buoy of hope in an ocean of darkness. And I just reached for it with everything I had. And I thought, well, if I could do this, what would be the first thing I would do? What would be the next thing? And it just helped me like dig out of it a little bit to start even doing the tangible actions of figuring out the logistical nightmare that was my life um, in a way that stopped my brain from locking down and going to that ultra dark place of, you know, just being paralyzed by what was happening to me. And I have used those two words, what if, in that positive way ever since. And that's a hack for all your listeners. I'm telling you, like, whenever you're faced with anything and your instinct is to say, what if this doesn't work? What if no one shows up for me? What if whatever? All you have to do is flip those sentences around. What if it's successful? Mm. What if there's more people than I have capacity to handle? What am I going to do then? And all of a sudden it starts building out success steps. It starts showing you the path to success versus forcing you into a corner of, you know, feeling trapped. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of the first thing that started giving me hope. And that hope led to kind of that initial visualization of like, Hey, what could my life look like? Love it. Love that. So, you know, you're a personal development coach you know, you speak on some, some things that help people get unstuck and you come from that area, that place. So of course, you know, with having children involved as well, right. Having children involved in this breakup of a marriage and whatnot, like, did you, first of all, how long did it take for you to like, understand, okay, what you went through, the steps that you took to get out of that situation and hey maybe there's more people like me or the older me how can i help them what was yeah what did that look like when you start to be like okay you know i want to get into this world of personal development and help others what did that look like 
I I kind of always say I came to it kicking and screaming because that was never my okay. plan. I, you know, when I finally got a job after all that happened, it was inside sales, doing technology sales, and I was on a phone all day long. So my goals were to raise up the ranks in corporate sales. Like that was that was the plan I was on. I was like, that's the only way success happens. You know, this is what success looks like. Um, but I started kind of using the tools I teach now to actually get me success. By the time I left corporate in 2017, I was uh, the vice president of national sales. So in four or five years, it worked my way up that ladder. Um, but during that time, even in the very beginning, back in like, God, 2009, I started blogging. So that was actually how this part of it evolved. I, I did not think anyone would listen. I didn't really care if anyone would listen because I didn't have anyone in my life I could talk to about the things I was going through. I didn't know one person who was into personal development. I'd never read a personal, I didn't know anything. Not even, you didn't go to a seminar or read a book? Like the only exposure I had was the Oprah Winfrey show way back when she was on at four o'clock every day. Like that was it, you know? So like every now and then she'd do a show on, you know, whatever. That was my only exposure. So I didn't have tools. I didn't have anything. Um, And when I, you know, started blogging, started kind of sharing like, this is my life. This is my dreams. This is kind of what I want to work for. All of a sudden people started reading it and I was like, that's weird. (laughs) And then I started sharing when I would manifest something and people would be like, Hey, wait a second. I I read six months ago that you said you wanted to do that. You just did that. How did that happen? Tell us the story. And that kind of led to me going, well, maybe I'm doing something that's working. And if it's working for me, could it work for someone else? And so I just started kind of giving advice when people would ask for it. And lo and behold, it was working for anyone who was trying it as well. And it still took me seven years after Mm -hmm. that and 4 million blog subscribers to get to a place where I was like, maybe I'm onto something and should do something about this. Wow. (laughs) So I I did not embrace it wholeheartedly at first. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That is pretty cool. Man. Yeah. I just, you know, I never, I never once thought of it as a career. Yeah. make a career out of this it's crazy yeah but it's like man when we go through certain experiences and you come out maybe you start on the tip on the the negative part of it and then the steps that you took the mindset the relationships that you have with yourself or others to help you get to you know the good part of it i think that's very attractive to people who are who may be stuck yeah, and for somebody to openly be living what they're teaching, I think is rare. It was certainly definitely rare back then. There was no one in the personal development space that was at all like me, that was struggling, that was open about the fact that I'm trying to learn this stuff. I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying. And my my tagline back on the blog was, a chick on a mission to prove anything is possible for anyone. I was never like, I'm the girl who's going to teach yeah. you. I'm like, I'm just the chick living across the street trying to figure my shit out. And like, if it works, I'm going to be the first to tell you what yeah. worked. And if it didn't work, I'm going to say, don't ever do that. Cause that's, that but was that's what life. makes you so, so relatable. Yeah. That's my coaching philosophy yeah that makes you relatable because Hey, I'm no, I'm not an expert. Right. Yeah. I've just, I've been through, I've been through some things that, and I've had some, some success in, you know, I, I I do have a way. It might not be the only way, but I have a way that right. can help. That works yeah. for me. And I think anybody can really access that. I always say there's kind of three parts to it. It's like, 
if you have something that you've been through and you want to share it and you want to get a platform and you want to, you know, start teaching it, the first part is where were you before? We want it, We want the before, the middle, and yeah. the after, you know, as an audience. Like, we want to know what life was like then, what you did, not like what you preach other people to do, but what you did and what the philosophy or the steps were that got you results. And then, yeah, now show us a little bit of like what's possible at the after yeah, too. I love it. So I want to kind of take this conversation another direction to where, yeah. okay, you are, um, you know, now you're a single parent and you have three children. Now I know one, yeah. I know one of them because he's a, he's a, he's a dude on the university of yeah. Oregon football team. And so he is right? he's a dude. <laughs> and so did you have other children that were athletes that played different sports? And you know, how did that, how did that affect them? If at all yeah. in their sports? Yeah, so my son, who's 20, um, does he plays football at Oregon. He's a, a junior redshirt sophomore. Um, and then my daughters, I have identical twin daughters that are 16 and juniors in high school. And they played volleyball kind of in the not league, you know. They were not in the league stuff. I wasn't one of those parents who was, like, traveling all over for <laughs> – Well, there's a lot of them. There's a lot. And when, well, when you have two, yeah. let's say, so all – doubling all those costs as a single parent. I was like, mm. um, but they, they did some rec uh, volleyball, which they had fun with and they really liked. And then in high school, they've done a uh, track and throwing and things like that. But it's very interesting. The level of commitment between my son and my daughters, like my daughters do it for something to do. There's, there's no passion. Beyond okay. That. okay. Gotcha. <laughs> my son was, has been driven since fifth grade. He knew what he wanted to do since fifth grade. Mm. And w when did he get started with, uh, I mean, was fifth grade when he first got into like football or? He was, I think his big kind of pivotal moment with football. Well, I started taking him to duck games when he was about six. Um, and so we would go and he would, he would like stay out by the locker, you know, as the players go in and oh, out of yeah. the tunnel. And I have all these like videos, you know, talking, to, trying to get the players to sign his stuff and whatever. And then when he was eight for his eighth birthday, um, I was super broke, you know, I was just trying to get back on my feet, trying to figure, figure it out. Um, and I didn't have enough money to throw him a party. And so I reached out to two of the stars of the Oregon team at that time. They'd just come back from the championship. I thought, hey, what's the worst that can happen? I was in corporate sales. I was used to like cold calling. Okay, okay. <laughs> get your no all the time. So I, you know, messaged them and I was like, hey, you know, if I drive the hundred miles to Eugene, Will you sign a football with my son? Maybe take a picture, maybe toss the ball. That's asking a lot. But, you know, if, if we showed up, would you do that? And they were both like, yeah, of course. Um, and it was Ed Dixon and Ken Barner, And they wound up playing catch with him for over an hour. No way. And I have these just amazing. Was this, it was the most incredible. Was this after a game yeah. or or after practice like, or something? Like after practice. Okay. Yep, it was after practice. They just came out to the field and played catch with him tackled him just I have these great videos of and he's this tiny little kid he was so nervous you know and so scared but that was the moment that started the dream where it just kind of transitioned from oh we're we're fans and we're kind of watching it on tv or we're going to a game to like these are real people yeah. and this is a real thing and and then I just I encouraged the dream from then on and put him in circumstances where he could see what the dream looked like 
a closer personal. Uh, and I love that. And I want to go deeper into that. But first, I wanted to stop and acknowledge like it took number one, it took courage. Right. For for not yeah. not so much him, but more of mama. Right. Oh, yeah. It's embarrassing. Like, you know, hey, can you come like do this for my kid? But I was like, what do I have to lose? You know, like and can I just and, and can I just tell you, because you're looking at it from your point of view, that mama. Right. For her, her, her little baby yeah. cub. On the flip side, for myself, being a former athlete, I love that. I love that it when people so when people that, do yeah. stuff that is, that's that's out of the ordinary and it doesn't come from a place of like, you know, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed, no, I just, right, hey, right. look, I got this. It's a pure joy and gratitude. Yeah. So they're showing like yeah. they're showing like some love. And it's like, man, what and and here's the thing that, you know, as athletes, if you're listening, you have the you have the um, ability to be able to change somebody's life by spending by sp- spending a little bit of, a little bit of your time with those individuals no matter yeah. what age you have the ability to change your life hopefully it's for the better but Absolutely. that's something that I don't I didn't want to like glance over um yeah it's a, it's a huge thing and I just want to say like those two guys have remained friends, loyal, loyal friends for now. We're going on 14 years, 13 years, whenever that French was. For, French, friends with your son? Or? Of my, and, and of my son. Like, so my son's grown up knowing them his whole life. And both of them were at the spring game, which was the first time he ever suited up and played. They were both on the sidelines watching it. So it's incredible. And I, I just uh, did an interview with my son and Kenyon Barner. We were talking about it. And he was like, he said the same thing you just said. He said, I always promised myself that if I was ever asked and a kid was involved, that I would always show up if there was any possible way I could do it. And he's like, when I got your message, it was like, of course, like, I don't have anything at that time. I will be there. And I just thought that was so incredible because I know there's plenty of athletes who aren't like that. And so I know your listeners, a lot of them are athletes. And I just encourage you, you don't know the impact you're going to make. And my son is living his dream because of something that was sparked in him when he was eight and he kind of barely remembers he remembers it off the videos and pictures you know yeah that's pretty cool that's pretty cool so tell my listeners a little bit about like man what is you know you have a son that's playing division one football at a major university what were some of the things you know we talked a little bit beforehand about like his dreams and what he wanted to do. And like, you're, you was like, Hey, I don't know about all this, son. I don't know. It's this different. You know, do you have the right mindset? Do you have yeah. the right, you know, whatever, but what, what things do you foundational principles? Do you teach your clients that you, you know, gave your son to help him achieve his dream? Yeah. I, I first just want to shout him out. For the fact that he is so coachable. Oh, number one, um, being co- I'm writing that down. I mean, being yes. coachable. He is so coachable, and and to get coaching from your mom, you know who who wants that? But he, from the time he was a baby, I've always been teaching him things. I mean, no lie, he was in the baby viewer, and I was telling him why you do dishes and how you do, you know like so he kind of grew up knowing what to expect. And when he told me that he wanted to play football. And football was kind of our thing after the divorce. You know, we watched games together. I taught him how to 
you know, do catch the ball and all of this stuff. Cause that was our way to bond after that, after the divorce. And so when he told me, he's like, Hey, I want to, I want to start varsity and I want to play division one football. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, I'm taking my own deep breath going, please God, like let's line this up, you know, because as a parent, it's, it's scary when your kid has big dreams, but at the same time, I know that you have to foster those dreams or else nothing is going to happen. Right. And so I think him being open to understanding that his mindset was a huge part of it and that what he tells himself is up to him and either he can kind of, he's typically very hard on himself. Like that would be his nature. I think, um, if just, if it was allowed to go its own way, um, and as an athlete, you know that that is not helpful. When you're super hard on yourself, when you get in your head about stuff, like you don't perform the way you want to perform and it just feeds this cycle that is really scary to break. And so giving him tools and teaching him how to talk to himself, teaching him how to do things like mottos, I am statements, pumping him full of those. Before I am practice, statements. Talk to me about, okay, so so what does that mean? I am, I'm pretty dope. I'm fast. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I am statements are one of the fastest way to change your belief systems. So if you want to sit down with a notepad and just say, what are the things I wish I was? I wish I was confident. I wish I never dropped the ball. I wish I, you know, worked harder than anyone at practice. It doesn't matter. Like plug in your stuff. Then all you have to do is say, I am confident. Right. And you, you literally Put that in as a practice. I always teach my clients to do it morning and night while you're brushing your teeth. Say it out loud to yourself while you're looking in the mirror so that you have that auditory connection, your voice claiming something you want, you hearing it. It's super, super powerful. And then the crazy thing starts to happen is you start to make new decisions based on now you have two voices in your head. Before you just had the voice that said, oh, I screwed that up, or I'm not good at this, or someone is better than me, whatever. Now you have the voice that says, I kill at practice. I'm a freaking demon on the field. No one's going to beat me. And in that moment, you now have a new choice. And that motto comes right back in. It's like, I'm a demon, I'm a demon, I'm a demon. All right, what can I do to be a demon? Mm. Right? But people don't understand. Like They brush it aside and be like, eh, that's woo-woo. It's not at all. It is tactically how you change I your I love that. Shoot, I, I still do it. I'm 50. I ain't yep. never touched no football. Yeah. Don't but you know, I play golf. I'll, I'll bowl. Yep. I play dominoes and best believe I, I'm talking to myself and it's external Absolutely. and I don't care who's listening. My kids hear me. Man, yep. dad, you silly. I said, I'm still a beast. <laughs> and I- Absolutely. So here's, here's a great trick anybody can do if they just want to test it out, especially your athletes. Next time you go work out, tell yourself all the negative stuff. I have no energy. I feel like crap today. I'm going to do awful. Just let all that go just for a day. So you can get your own data. The next day, do the opposite. Just pump it up the whole day, pump it up on the commute to the workout facility, say it the entire workout. And you will have a side-by-side comparison of the way your brain affects your Mm. performance. Like, okay. Okay. I'm taking notes. So that was a big thing that he did and has always been very, willing to let me hear when he needed mm-hmm. a correction and take the correction and, and work on it. But then he also saw me hustle is kind of my thing. It, you know, my first book is 
called Hustle, Believe, Receive. And so I have always instilled in him, you don't get anything you want if you're not going to yeah. work for it. You've got to figure out how to work. He's seen it modeled. He's seen it modeled. Yes. He knows what that looks like. Explain, talk to me a little bit about like, what does being coachable, what does that mean? Oh, wow. It's such, and now as a coach, it is the first thing I look for. You know, there is. Hold on. So you don't work with people. I mean, you don't work with everybody. You don't work with people who are not coachable. Absolutely not. I've fired multiple clients. If you're not coachable, you're wasting my time and you're wasting my reputation mm-hmm. worse, right? Like, cause you're not going to get results. A non-coachable person. In other words, a person who thinks they know it all okay. or a person who is resistant to tweaks, resistant to ideas, resistant to coaching, um, is a person that is going to have to hit their own wall at their own time and get to a place where like, okay, now I'm open. Because there isn't anything I can do to yeah. get you that way if, if that's how you're coming at it. And so I think him kind of always wanting to be better and understanding that coaching from his trainers, coaching from his actual coaches, and then even coaching from me, adding in each of those tweaks was getting him results and getting him better. Then he's like, he's like me. He's like, awesome. If there's a result in there, then I'm all in for that. So I think being coachable is really about understanding that it's not a criticism. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people take it as a criticism. That's where the defenses come up and that's where you become uncoachable. But if you take it as thank you for pointing that out, A, I'm not going to do it again because now I know, but B, because you told me what to do instead, I'm going to be freaking better. Absolutely. Like, that is one of the things I tell my, you know, my clients back when I was training, but now when I'm coaching them to be, become better as I tell them right from the day one, like, Hey, I'm going to challenge you and, and it's not going to yep. be comfortable. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to challenge exactly. you. It's not going to be comfortable. But my job is to be able to shine a flashlight on some of the, the things in your life, areas in your life that you say you want to be better at. You say you want to change. Well, I know the different, not just mindset, but the actions that you need to take to, to exactly. change. So it's my job is yep. to be able to, to challenge, challenge some of your beliefs. So no, that's Absolutely. great. Absolutely. And if you're not doing that, then you're like, why are you yeah, hiring me? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's on you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So mindset being coachable mindset. And we talked a little bit earlier about like finding the right coach. Right. And this is something that yeah. um, when you're at the high school level, college, or even pros, like, you typically don't get to pick your coach, right? Right, Those relationships are put on you, but there are relationships that you do get to choose. How does, how did you go about choosing the coach, whether it's speed development, strength coach, all those different things that's not really linked to the school. How did you go about finding like the right one? I got to give my son so much credit because he he wanted this dream so bad that he went and figured out everything he needed to to make that happen. Um, I was not one of those parents that's like, oh, we got to do this or, oh, we got to get this equipment or, oh, you know, I was like, I will support your dream in whatever way. But this is on you. The recruiting is on you. The everything is on you. So if you can figure it out, then that tells me that you you want it. And so I remember he came home probably the end of sophomore year because COVID happened junior and senior year. Um, And he was like, 
Ma, I really want to do this extra training. And there's um, some elite trainers here in Portland where we're at. Um, former, a lot of them are former NFL and organ players. And that's kind of where the elite guys go to train. That's where they train on their off season. Um, and that's where they teach you those kind of skills that a lot of times you're not getting in high school, things like the vertical jump and all these other things, uh, to be better. And he comes home, he's like, I really want to do this. I was like, okay, how much does that cost? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I was like, listen, if you'll split it with me, okay. Cause I'm like, I'm not just taking all of this on. You got to have, I was about to say skin and let me put that skin in the game. And I'm never going to wake you up for this thing. It was 5.30 in the morning before school. I was like, I'm never going to wake you up. He had his car by that point. You're, you're going to be driving to it and you're going to pay 150 and I'll pay 150. And he was like, of course, absolutely. He got himself a little job. And for the next two years, he did that three times a week before school. And it, without a doubt, and I think he would say this too, um, is the reason why he's where he's at because it helped him take everything to the next level. It changed his body. It changed his speed. It completely changed what he was able to to lift and just do all of these things that he would have never got had he just kind of relied on the, you know, the football program to give him those skills because, you know, he's one of those athletes that he has to develop all that stuff. He's not an automatic skilled guy. And you and I talked about this last, last week on my show, like the difference between skill and really working for what you want and developing that, you know, he wasn't born as the most talented football player in the world, but he has the heart, the passion, the drive and the relentlessness to make it happen. What are some of the byproducts that you think has already came from it, but also can come from holding him accountable letting it just be his thing, having him work a job to pay for this, you know, this skills and then doing it at five 30 in the morning. What are some of the byproducts you think come will, will show up as fruit for your son? Oh my God. It, it gave him the fundamental building blocks of becoming a man, becoming the type of man that he wants to be. And also that I, as a mom wanted to raise right? Like somebody who is responsible, someone who has goals and follows through, someone who is willing to, to sacrifice for what they want. Um, and he tells me all the time, he's always like, Ma, I'm so glad I learned how to do that when I was in high school. I'm so glad I did that. You know, I'm so glad that you made me do this or that or the other thing. And most of those um, things aren't comfortable. And he, yeah. And he appreciates uh-huh. it now. Did he so appreciate he really it then? I think he, you know, he really did. He never complained. He's not, he's not a complainer. Definitely has always been like understood that what he wants, he, it is his job to, to go in and go after. Um, But I think now he understands the bigger picture of that impact and how, and I think he'll continue to understand that the older that he gets, but you know, when you're now around a hundred and some odd guys and you realize not everybody has those skills that you took for granted that you just thought was how everyone was raised. All of a sudden you value them. I think a little bit more too. You're like, Oh, I'm glad yeah. I know how to do that. I'm glad I, I did that. Already, yeah. You know? I think, you know, one thing that, um, that the, the, the byproduct is, and a lot of, we kind of take it for granted, but not everybody knows what this means. 
hard work, effort. You'd be surprised when it's, you know, when I, or when you say, hey, give a hundred percent. There's a lot of kids out there that don't know what that looks, feels, smells like. They don't understand it. I see it. I, I coach, like I said, I've been coaching high school football for 10 years and I know, and there's some kids that are not that fast, but I still can, I know what effort is because if you can be able to change the speed based on what is happening externally, like, you know, if you're running across the field and all of a sudden the guy breaks open and now you decide to turn on, now you decide to sprint and now you decide to go a hundred percent when, you know, when stuff is not, is not going great. Well, that's the, right. the understanding what a hundred percent high effort looks like. And when you surround yourself, when you get to see, like I said, modeled, when you see it modeled, Oh, that's what he means. Or that's what she means when doing it, like, you know, with your hair on fire or whatever. All yeah. All out. And I think it's really hard, especially if we're talking athletes in high school, it's, for the most part, really hard to kind of do that, especially if you're good at your sport, right? If you're good at your sport, your coaches are probably not pushing you the hardest of everyone on the team, my guess is, right? Like you probably get some liberties. If you're the star of the show, you probably, you know, people might treat you a little bit different or go actually easier on you. So back to your point about coaching, that's why it was so critical for him to get that outside, super detailed, super, I'm going to push you, this is what you paid for. If you show up, this is what you're getting every single day. I don't care, you know, who you are, if you're great. I don't even know what you do outside of this room, but my job is to elevate you to X, Y, and Z. That I think is so valuable and such a value in a coach because they're able to kind of come in from the outside and elevate you and push you in a way that for the most of us, whether it's personal development or any other type of coaching, we just do not put ourselves in those circumstances on a daily basis on our own and wouldn't even know mm. how to like, that's the value. Yeah. The no, that's great. What are some, like, did you, when you were finding that coach for your son, did you care or, or maybe you did, but with the success that other athletes had with that said coach, was that a big factor or was it not, or was it a factor? Maybe him, his friends went to the coach. And so he wanted to be a part yeah. of that. Do you want him to be a part of that too? What was something like, you know, he had a yeah, criteria. criteria. So again, I mean, he, he, he amazes me because he was at this point, what's 16, mm -hmm. 17. Um, but he looked into it himself to see who was the best okay. in our area, who trains athletes in the off season who trains athletes to get D1 scholarships. And he had made that commitment to himself that he wanted to, yep. to play D1. So he's like, who helps, who helps guys get to D1? <laughs> who has the most guys who are getting to D1? And he, he knew that he knew the stats. He followed the social medias. He was like, Oh, this guy who's D1 is training there this week. So all of those things, which I think are super important, right? You want to know that if you are investing your time and money, that you are going to get results and also that you're going to be surrounded by people who are driven like you, you know? So sometimes 
some of those NFL guys would be there and they would be getting in a workout at the same time, you know, he was getting his workout in. And so even just those little exposures, those little pieces, or I remember one day he came home and he was like, Oh my God, like the guy that's been working out with me for six months just accepted his D one scholarship, you know? So like that was completely different than what was happening in his high school. He had gone to his high school coach, his junior year, actually his sophomore year and said, Hey, I want to play college football. He didn't even tell him he wanted to play college football. And his coach was like, that will never happen. Like, don't waste time. What? And there was zero support for that. There was really no kids going on to play college historically from mm-hmm. his high school. There was absolutely no recruiting help coming from the coaching staff. And so he had to go outside for it. And then he was like, okay, well, someone is doing that. He could have just stopped. He'd be like, ah, okay, I guess this is, absolutely. that's the information. That's the data. And he came home devastated. He came home devastated. And I was like, that's when that mental coaching comes mm-hmm. in. And that's where him being open to me, just being like, nope, we're going to coach yep. this out right yep. now real quick. <laughs> um, and then taking that advice and moving through the adversity. He's had so much adversity, but he's seen me have endless amounts of adversity and take my own advice and get through it. And so I think there's a level of trust there the same way there's a level of trust when you're, you know, when he was out there scouting, like who can get my body where it needs to be to play mm, D1. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I, I see the love results. It. Love it. it love <laughs> it. Okay. So is there anything um, that I might be missing? I, Cause I want to scrape the plate with you in terms of like, Hey, if there's other parents out there, single or, you know, joint, whatever, yeah. what some of the things they can be asking themselves, their children, what they can be looking for to help their young athletes go to whatever next level that is. Is there anything I might have? Okay. Oh, let's call. Well, hopefully this whole interview has been that. Uh, It's all been been real, but this this is going to be a tough one for some parents to hear. I don't think that you should have to push your child to be great at sports. And I can say that as someone who has, life coached endless amount of NBA, NFL, college players for over a decade. Every single one of them can tell me a story of how they did it themselves, of how they didn't have the support, of how they figured out how to get to practice, of whatever. Like every single one of them will say that was their dream and they made it happen. And 100%, that's everything I've just said about my son. I was like, cool, go make it happen. You figure out who to coach you. You figure out how to find your 150 bucks to make this happen. And all of the, every single one of those little things is what solidified the dream in him. That is what solidified his drive, his passion, his commitment was because he had to do each of those things. He did all of his own recruiting in the middle of COVID when there was no recruiting, this kid figured out how he could recruit himself and recruited himself. And he got multiple offers and he got meetings with everybody and ultimately, you know, got an offer at Oregon. I didn't, I wasn't part of one of those conversations. I wasn't part of, I didn't know how any of that stuff worked. So parents, if you're out there pushing your kid to do this, encouraging them to get up to go to practice, paying all the money, doing all the stuff, I hate to be the one to tell you, but your kid is probably not that committed to it. And I can say that as having two daughters who really liked volleyball. And I was like, how much do you like volleyball? Volleyball is hella freaking expensive when you have two kids that want to do it mm-hmm. in club, right? I was like, I will make the sacrifices. I'll do whatever I got to do 
to help you get there, but you got to show me a lot of stuff yeah. first. You got to be the one driving this in seventh grade, getting all your stuff together, getting everything. And they didn't, and they didn't want it. Like, and one wants to be a chef now and the other wants to be an interior designer. And those are way more yeah, their happy yeah. spot, right? So I was never going to be like, yes, no problem. I'm going to, you know, sign you up, get you in the league, even though they're both very talented. They probably could have done really well. But I was like, unless you're driving this ship and unless you're going to find a way to walk, if I don't take you, yeah. nah, you don't, you don't want it. So I'm good. The thing that I've... Um... <laughs> That, that that's really helped me with, you know, with our kids and, you know, some of them, you know, great athletes and they, they want, they want to go on and do some really cool things. Uh, and, and the same thing that with clients that, you know, want to work with me is I tell them this, you have got to be more committed than me because if yep. I'm more committed to you now, I feel like I'm robbing, I'm stealing from me. And I don't like feeling bad when, you know, when things happen or things go wrong, I I hate being frustrated. And so I found out I get frustrated when I want something more for somebody for, you know, to help them if I want it more than them. So once I put that in that framework, I say, okay, and then boil it down. You've got to be more committed than me. Yeah. My rule of thumb is I'm not pulling anyone yeah. along. I'm not pulling you towards what you want. Yeah. That's not happening. I will, I will give you tools that I know for a fact work. And if you take the advice, you're going to get a result. If you choose not to do that, then that is, isn't going to work for me because it's not going to work. Yeah. For you. So it's Sarah, yeah. how can my people get a hold of you? If they want to work with you, they want to read your book. They want to listen to your podcast. Give me the deets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you can find everything on my Instagram uh, link and bio to all that good stuff. I'll have it um, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Centrella. So easy peasy. Um, and yeah, I love connecting with people. I love teaching them what they need to get their dreams to happen because anyone can live any dream. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, if you have the desire and the passion, then 100% you can find the next steps to get there and get what you need from a process standpoint to make it happen. Desire and the passion. No one I can love it. it. Sarah, that's a mic drop right there. That's a mic <laughs> drop. Sarah, thank you so much for being a guest on the shark effect. I love to have you on again. This has been great. This has yeah. been, you know, to, to get your perspective on a couple of different things, you know, whether it's mindset, whether it's personal development, also parenting, you know, your, your, your young athletes, uh, this has been beautiful. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I've loved it, Alex. I I so appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening.